The time is now. Volume 4, Episode 60. This is Employment Law Now, and I am Mike Schmidt, Vice Chair of Labor and Employment Department here at Cozen O'Connor. I continue to give you as much information as I possibly can through these podcast episodes as it relates to coronavirus-related developments. Today, the focus of this episode is on the impact that the coronavirus situation is having on companies, particularly with regard to layoffs, furloughs, and what people have been talking about, the WARN Act obligations. I am pleased to be joined by one of my colleagues here at Cozen, Jennifer Williams. She is a partner in our Miami office. Uh, She regularly represents and advises companies not only in Florida but also around the country on all things employment law related and has been focusing on these coronavirus-worn issues. So I'm real pleased to have her uh, on the episode today to give you some additional information that hopefully will be helpful to all of you. Jen, thanks so much for being on today. My pleasure, my pleasure. So many companies have obviously been uh, forced to turn to another uh, big part of the tragedy here with everything going on. Uh, It's been a lot of let's quickly get updated on all this new legislation that we keep hearing about and what does this mean for everybody and uh, now so many companies out there are faced with this aspect of the tragedy and that is closing down, having to let people go. It's um, it's really been a sad uh, few days at least. Sure, without, without question. And I will say that the tenor, or at least the, the introduction to what we would have been discussing yesterday and the introduction to what we are discussing now ha- has sort of changed as this situation evolves. You know, I read this morning before I started talking to you that there's, you know, the stimulus package, it, it looks like has been passed. I mean, you never say anything's final until it's final. And the result of which appears to be, at least from what I'm seeing, is that there's going to be relief for individuals up to a certain income threshold. There's going to be relief for families up to a certain income threshold. There's going to be um, money available for small businesses to keep their payroll intact and keep their operations going to the extent they are able to. So certainly at least the initial information coming out of the capital is that this is hopefully going to provide some level of stability and continuity in what you're right has been an increasingly, you know, difficult time for folks. And maybe uh, to that point, reduce the likelihood or the inevitability that companies actually have to go forward with any of these kinds of uh, layoffs and furloughs if uh, there is some stimulus package that can keep them afloat for a period of time. I certainly hope so. 
So let's hope that everything we're talking about today becomes moot and totally unnecessary, uh, although uh, I suspect that that's not going to be the case. Um, I'm going to mention this later at the end of this uh, episode, um, but you and uh, others from our firm are also doing a webinar this coming Friday, uh, March 27th, on all of these issues relating to warn and layoffs and terminations. You'll be getting much more in-depth uh, on all of these issues in the 90 minutes that you'll be spending uh, with the slides and the presentation and the webinar, but I did want to hop on the um, podcast today and just really go through from a high-level, almost executive summary standpoint, hit some of these points so people can have something to work with in the interim. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So let's get right uh, off the bat to some of the semantics because I'm hearing people use a variety of terms to describe the separation of employment event. We're hearing layoff. We hear termination. We hear furlough. Um, is there a way to give us some suggestion on how we can differentiate between these terms? Sure. I mean, from a substantive standpoint, termination stands out at least at first glance as a more permanent situation. So if you are being terminated, you are not coming back to work at this organization, absent some incredible circumstance that we don't know about right now. When you turn to and I'll use your word, the semantics of layoff versus furlough, um, I think that for the most part that those terms can be used interchangeably in general, you know, and so the, the, the nuance, I think, is what I've seen and what I've seen clients trying to organize themselves through is a layoff they are using for the temporary cessation of their operations for a week, a month, 90 days. I have seen in the last week or so employers use the term furlough when what they mean is, it could be they mean the same thing as a layoff, but it also could be, listen, we're going to have 50% of the workforce come in week one and we're going to have the other 50% of the workforce come in week two. We're going to have everyone do alternating shifts from Monday to Wednesday and then do the same shift that they normally would from Thursday to Sunday. And so I think furlough is being used anyway in a, in a more varied and creative context. I don't know if you're seeing that with, with your clients as well. Absolutely. I think um, most people are thinking about the term furlough to mean we're not terminating them per se. We're not taking them off of payroll as employees, but we are either, as you said, alternating the shifts, changing, uh, reducing hours, reducing weeks, uh, or maybe even putting the folks on an unpaid leave for a period of time, but we're still keeping them on payroll. We're still uh, keeping them as employees as opposed to laying them off or terminating them uh, and getting them off of payroll as employees for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there may be differences as well when it comes to unemployment insurance, and I don't want to get uh, too far afield with this episode, uh, and obviously unemployment insurance issues are going to depend on the particular state that you are in. Uh, there are some states that have relaxed both their waiting period and their requirements 
for being able to receive unemployment insurance, uh, even when you are in a furloughed situation, as I've just described it, even, for example, if you've reduced the number of days or number of hours in a week, even though you're still uh, earning some wages, you can, in some situations, again, depending on the state scheme, still receive unemployment insurance. So it's something that you may want to look into a little more closely if you're the employee, uh, of course, but also from the employer side, there may be ways of um, uh, framing your program and what you're doing with your employees to protect your businesses, but also allow, in some cases, employees to receive unemployment insurance. Well, I think you raise an excellent point there. I, I looked into this issue. I'm based in Florida, so I looked into this issue for a Florida client last evening, and as you just indicated, um, the rules or the waiting periods or the restrictions that would usually have been um, applied to Florida employees have been relaxed for this time period in these circumstances. And I would imagine that other states are likewise in the same situation. So let's uh, get right into WARN, uh, at least a high-level discussion about WARN. Certainly the caveat, uh, many states have their own version of mini-WARN, as they call it, uh, but for today's discussion, we're just talking about the Federal WARN Act. So let's start with the start. How does a company determine if it's subject to WARN requirements in the first place? Sure, and, and I will tell you that with each client that I advise, I go back to the start. And so I think it's important that we go there because when you try to jump to steps two, three, four, or 20, you know, hold on a second. Let's figure out if, if, if we're actually subject to or covered by Warren in the first place. And so to your point, there's a few threshold questions that you got to ask. Jen. Hold on. We're getting your, I think your, your phone is ringing this. This is what I love about live TV. Oh, if my phone is ringing, then I don't know about it. There we it. go. Now you're back. Well, I heard something on the computer there. So, all right. Okay. So, go back. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. What I was saying is let's go back to the beginning. Exactly what you were saying. And so, there are... Warren doesn't apply to every organization and doesn't apply to every situation. So, the the, the let's say the three hurdles that have to be crossed before we're even talking about a federal WARN Act potential notice trigger is, you know, do you have um, the requisite number of employees? Do you have a hundred full-time employees um, in and of itself? And so, in other words, are you going to get to the point where you're dealing with, is this a mass layoff or is it a plant closing? The, the first issue is, do you have 100 or more workers full-time? We'll get to the part-time issue later. Um, but do you have 100 or more workers full-time or do you have 100-plus workers who work 4,000 hours collectively in a week? Frankly, I'm not sure I understand the nuance between those two because if you've got a hundred full-time employees presumably in most situations anyway you're going to have folks that work four thousand hours a week collectively but nevertheless that's the issue that's sort sure. of the, so, the threshold 
Yeah, so at least for a federal warn, part-time employees are not covered when you're counting to see if you meet the coverage threshold, at least for the first part of that? For the first part, they aren't. And we can okay. differentiate, are they counted from, do they get notice? Got it, exactly. So this is just when we're talking about part-time versus not part-time employees, this is solely for counting a uh, number of employees to see if you as a company are covered by WARN. It's not to the issue that we'll get into in a minute as to who's entitled to get WARN notice. Correct. So you don't count part-time employees and you don't count workers who have been there less than six months and you don't count anyone well who works 20 or less hours a week who would be your part-time folks. Right, exactly. So if the employer is covered, we've gotten past the step one. Uh, let's talk about the events that would trigger a potential warn notice requirement. And the big ones are the mass layoff and the plant closing. What's the mm -hmm. difference between the two? So a mass layoff is a situation, at least in the federal WARN Act regulations, where you've got one of two things. You're laying off, meaning you are letting go, furloughing, however you want to say it, 500 or more employees. And if that's, if that's true, if your organization is letting go of 500 or more employees, you're covered. We can stop there. If it's between 50 and 499 employees that are at issue for the layoff, then you have a, a, a separate step of, okay, it's between 50 and 499. It also has to be at a single site and that number, whatever it is, whether that number be 51 or 220 or 498, does that number constitute 33% of your workforce at that site? Got it. So within a certain number, uh, it doesn't make a difference what the percentage is, but then within that second uh, bracket, uh, you're going to also look at what percentage of your entire workforce at the location are being laid off. Correct. So that's... So go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and then contrasting that with a plant closing, a plant closing is what it is. Either either the, oper the operations are ceasing, an operational unit is closing down, or the operations are stopping for 50 or more employees at a single site. So in other words, if you've got you know, presumably what that was intended to not capture is, yes, I'm shutting my doors, but I have only five employees total. Right. And in that case, that might trigger a potential war notice requirement then. Mm hmm Because it's a plant closing as opposed to a mass layoff. Correct. Now, one of the big issues that we're hearing uh, out there is this six-month number, so mm -hmm. that uh, people are being advised uh, that if, you know, in good faith, they've got a reasonable basis to believe that the uh, triggering act right now is not going to last for six months, uh, then they no longer have to or they don't have to uh, issue a warn notice. What, what's the deal with that? So you're exactly right. If the layoff is not going to exceed six months, then you as an employer are not required at this juncture to provide the requisite warn notice. Now, you make a good point that the regulations are clear that if, in fact, that six-month period gets extended or the initial layoff period gets extended for which the layoff now exceeds six months, 
it's not you don't measure your triggering obligation from the date of the first period of layoff the layoff gets extended and you fall within that six month window you are now you need to give notice at that point so for these kinds of situations it's certainly not advisable to say all right here we are in march uh we've made a decision that this is not going to be lasting six months we don't have to give warn notice uh and then put this off to the side and not revisit this i I think it probably makes sense to you know whether it's two months from now three months from now four months from now revisit what the situation is because you may want to reevaluate at that point and say okay at this point given how long it is it has been so far and how long we expect it to have to continue we may now have a new obligation to give a war notice at this point correct and and i would you know think about that sort of from a common sense perspective taking it for a minute in these uncertain times out of the legal ramifications of the WARN Act for purposes of employee morale and engendering, you know, a continuity of operations when you are ready to get back to business. You you want your folks to the extent you can provide them some at least guidance on this is what we think right now. No, we're not certain, but this is what we expect. And so you know, what I, one of the things I've been telling clients, telling employers, if you can, after the first 30, 60, 90 days, do a follow-up communication, even if it's just to say, we don't know yet, we know you're waiting to, you know, find out what happens, so are we, we're eager to get back to work too, when we can, and we'll continue to keep you updated, then at least people know a little more information about what's going on. Well, like everything when it comes to HR and employment law, I I say all the time communication is so key. Certainly you have the technical obligations and a lot of laws that are strictly interpreted, but when we're in a situation like we are right now, and there's no question uh, either in the middle of this or at the end of this, there will be lawsuits, there will be litigation Mm -hmm. uh, over various interpretations and actions taken. Uh, you, You know, no situation is ideal, but we're dealing with so many new laws but so many new applications of old laws that at a minimum if a company can say that it acted reasonably based on the information it had and it continued to communicate with its employees the best that it could uh, it will hopefully mitigate uh, some of either the bad feelings that employees have or uh, even better some of the litigation that's likely to come without question All right, so we've gone through the first two phases of this. We've determined that the employer is technically covered under WARN for this particular situation. We've looked at a particular event that might trigger a potential WARN notice requirement. If you have a triggering event that occurs, what is the required notice period that has to be given generally, at least as far as federal WARN goes? So I'm glad you said generally, because as with everything under the WARN Act, there's no bright line rule. But generally... The amount of notice required is 60 days. Yeah, and, and as with everything with employment law, we, we get used to two things. We get used to talking in acronyms, and we get talk, used to talking with caveats and with terms like generally. So it's I say it, and I don't even realize I'm saying it most of mm-hmm. the time. So 60 days. 60 days from when? 60 days from when you give the notice to the employee. So, okay. for example, today is March 25th. 2020, 60, if you hand out the notices to your workforce, your affected employees today, 
60 days from March 25th is their notice period. Okay, meaning that the triggering event that's being referred to would take place uh, presumably 60 days from March 25th. Correct. So before we discussed ways that WARN might not apply so that you don't have to give any notice at all, for example, if you think that uh, the mass layoff is not going to last for six months or more, um, but there are exemptions under the federal WARN as well as some state WARN acts, uh, particularly applicable to this whole coronavirus situation, that would allow a company not to forego any WARN notice but to give less than the full 60 days or whatever the time period is. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so the language used in the statute is as soon as practicable. When you're talking about one of the three exemptions, which are, and I'll, I'll state them, and then we can talk about each of them individually if you want to. So there is the faltering company exemption, unforeseeable uh, business circumstances exemption, and natural disaster exemption. So. Each of those three um, have their own particular nuances, um, and so I think it's important to let folks know that uh, you can say, oh yes, I didn't have to give any notice because uh, this is unforeseeable business circumstances, but I don't know if that's accurate because you do have to give some notice if you are able. All right, let's talk about these three quickly, and I sure. and I put them on the spectrum. There, there can be debate, and there has been debate on all three of these, but let's put them on a spectrum uh, where I see them in terms of least probably applicable to the coronavirus-related situation to arguably the most applicable. So on the least applicable likely side is the faltering company uh, exemption to me because that, I believe, is dealing with um, you know uh, business transactions or, or, or a similar kind of situation involving a company. Give us, give us a sense of what the faltering company um, exemption is. Sure, I think you are right that it's least applicable for the reason you just suggested. You know, um, it, it, it involves a company who is actively seeking capital and actively seeking um, through investors to sustain its operations. I think equally as important is that the way I read the regulations anyway, it does not, that exemption does not apply to a mass layoff. That exemption applies to a plant closing. And so if you are in a situation where you've got a mass layoff and not a plant closing, it's even less applicable because I'm not sure you can use that for mass layoffs. Right. So I think, I mean, that's a situation that, you know, might apply with regard to your business outside of this whole coronavirus immediacy or exigency kind of situation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I put it on that side of the mm -hmm. spectrum. Somewhere in the middle, because there's really been a lot of debate about this on the federal and state level, uh, is the natural disaster exemption. And, and why don't you let us know what's, uh, what that involves on the federal side, at least. Sure, sure. On the federal side, you know, I liken it, and we can debate for a long time whether the virus falls into this category. I liken it to hurricanes. So natural disaster, um, the definition includes effects of nature, storms, things of that consequence. Um, the definition does not say pandemic. The definition does not say virus. Um, could it fall 
under with guidance from the Department of Labor could coronavirus related warn events fall under natural disaster at some point look anything's possible we just don't know enough under the current definition to say yes or no another interesting thing in the natural disaster exemption is that again it doesn't allow you to forego notice altogether it simply allows the employer to provide notice after the natural disaster occurs so again going back to a hurricane or a storm or a tornado or something of that nature um, you would as an employer when you come back from the effects of the the natural disaster you then would give notice to your folks if you are in a mass layoff or a plant closing situation yeah, that's, an, again, an important distinction to keep in mind. We're not necessarily talking about not having to issue any war notice. It's just a matter of when we can, under these exemptions, reduce the uh, amount of the notice that's given. Mm-hmm. For the people, um, for the folks out there in, in this debate, and it has been a big one that I've been hearing on the natural disaster exemption, I think there are two factors that people have been looking at when they argue that the natural disaster exemption probably doesn't apply apply to the coronavirus-related layoffs or other employee situations. One, as you suggested, is the physical aspect of this. When you're talking about um, acts of God uh, or acts of nature, uh, physical acts, a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, those kinds of things are more physical acts than perhaps this kind of pandemic, this kind of virus. So, folks who don't believe this exemption applies are making that distinction. The second one, which I've been hearing a lot regularly as well, uh, is that the natural disaster exemption is meant to cover direct hits. So in other words, when you have a hurricane, when you have a flood that is itself directly resulting in damage to the business, forcing the business to close down, the hurricane, the flood is physically damaging or otherwise damaging directly the business's operation to continue, whereas a pandemic is indirectly affecting the business because the pandemic is um, applying or affecting employees who are working, uh, other folks in other businesses, and then from there, there's an indirect next degree uh, of impact to your company. So whether it's the physical versus the non-physical, whether it's the direct versus indirect, I put this in the middle of that spectrum because people, I think, are trying to make an argument uh, that this exemption applies, but there's a whole lot of um, arguments out there that the natural disaster exemption doesn't necessarily apply to the coronavirus-related uh, actions. No, I I completely agree with you. I've been hearing the same types of things that you've been hearing. I think I lost you. Did you uh, did you jump out there? I think I lost you, Jen. I don't know if you could hear me, but I can't hear you. You were about to say something terrific. I definitely don't know uh, what just happened there. We had some technical difficulties. It's a little uh, ironic that we uh, have a technical difficulty as we're in the middle of talking about natural disasters, but um, <laughs> we will we'll, we'll move forward. I, I think you were about to say something as I finished um, what I was saying on the natural disaster part of the uh, exemptions. 
Oh, sure. I was saying that, look, I, I'm hearing the same sort of debates in the marketplace that you are, and I think we're all sort of just waiting to see, is, is the Department of Labor going to issue additional guidance as to whether the natural disaster exemption applies to this situation or not? Okay, so the third exemption then on the other side of my spectrum, uh, which I think is probably most applicable to the coronavirus-related situation, is this uh, the unforeseen business circumstances. Walk us through what that is. Sure. So the unforeseen business circumstances indicates a sudden, dramatic, unknown, as the title would suggest, turn of events that impacts business operations. Um, and I think that, you know, we've both seen arguments on both sides of whether unforeseen business circumstances is applicable as an exemption to the current environment we're in. Again, the definition of unforeseeable or unforeseen business circumstances does not specifically address the issue at hand, and it does not obviate an employer's requirement to provide any notice. If the exemption applies, it simply lessens the amount of notice that an employer is required to give, again, going back to as soon as practicable. Sure, uh, and great points. Two other caveats I would mention, uh, you know, as we proceed uh, in the next coming weeks and, you know, hopefully not, but in the next coming months potentially, there may be arguments that companies are less able to use this unforeseen business circumstance exemption unless something new happens which requires uh, the business to then engage in layoffs at that point. The, the more time you go uh, makes it less likely that you are easily able to argue unforeseen. Sure. The second, second caveat I would mention, again, we've been talking just about federal warn, um, but it's important to keep uh, mentioning that there are states like California, for example, that do not necessarily have this unforeseen business circumstance exemption. So you really need to continue not to just be aware of the federal side of things, but to look at the state and local mini warn acts uh, in your particular jurisdictions. Without question. And I think, Mike, that that's what makes this particular issue in the context of a million issues that are vexing for organizations right now, I think that's what makes this particular issue even more challenging and even more nuanced because in this area of the law, in HR in general, you always want to have some level of consistency and certainty for your folks, and that's just not where we are right now. Great point. So let's uh, continue along our ladder of analysis here. We've gone through whether an employer is covered under WARN. We've gone through what events would trigger a potential WARN notice. We've now talked about um, are there exemptions to reduce the amount of notice that has to be given. Assuming we're covered, assuming a triggering event occurs and there has to be some notice given, who is entitled to get the notice, Jen? So, good point. Here's where we pull back in our part-timers. So, while an organization is not required to count those folks or count folks that have been employed fewer than six months, they are required once we cross the thresholds of having to give notice. Once notice is being given, then the seasonal folks, the part-time folks, now each affected employee is required to get notice. 
and there are other government officials depending on where your jurisdiction is and again whether we're talking federal or state there are going to be whether it's union representatives or other local government officials that will also have to receive the notice correct correct and if your workforce or the affected employees are represented by a union their representation is entitled to notice as well and I should have asked this when we were talking about the uh, coverage questions, but uh, in some cases, companies don't necessarily do a mass layoff or do a layoff uh, at the exact same time. If there is a triggering of, uh, uh, what if a company wants to stagger the layoffs or the furloughs so that some people are being let go this week, some people in three weeks, some people in a month, what kind of impact does that have on the calculus? So the calculus is... Th- flexible enough that you may still be encompassed by a triggering event and and what I mean is you know just in the same vein that you may have an exemption to the obligation to provide notice the exemption doesn't obviate the notice if you are staggering layoffs so as to lessen the impact on your organization keep certain parts of your business open as long as they can be I mean there's a million reasons that an organization would want to stagger layoffs but there are two things that you need to look at as an organization under at least the federal warrant act anyway and that is the 30-day and 90-day periods and so if you are having a series of smaller or you anticipate having a series of smaller layoffs that in and of themselves wouldn't trigger your obligation to provide notice to your employees. Also consider, and I know this is almost like reading tea leaves at this point, if you think that further layoffs will or may be necessary, then you have to you have to look out 90 days and look out 30 days and and that's probably the most difficult question to provide guidance on in this whole process because I think everyone is uncertain at this point. So there may be different periods uh, for these look periods depending on if you're if you're in a state warrant situation but at least for federal warn there is a look back and a look ahead period for mm-hmm. you to count the various um, events that are taking place to see if you fall within the requirements. Correct. Okay, so does a company uh, have to pay certain wages or severance if we're dealing with a uh, a worn triggering event? So, I mean, that's the whole point of the 60-day notice period is under, under the federal act, the notice period is so that your affected employees will have 60 days wages, presumably to find another job, to pay their bills, for whatever reason. Whether you are continuing operations or not, those folks, if there's a triggering event, are supposed to receive 60 days wages. And what about benefits? Uh, Do you have to maintain benefits if employees are furloughed or laid off in these situations? So I have heard more than one answer to that question. My personal opinion is that if it's six the the if it's sixty days wages it's sixty I read the regulations as sixty days wages and benefits, but I have heard 
other arguments in furloughed situations or temporary layoff situations where employers are reducing hours under a certain threshold such that these folks are no longer entitled to benefits. And that, of course, could be an entirely different podcast. No question. No question. Um, so one of the things we started with, and we'll uh, end with this, you mentioned this big stimulus package that just got through Congress late last night. Uh, mm-hmm. As I've been mentioning uh, all week, I don't usually uh, date and time stamp my episodes so that they can live on forever and ever. Uh, but given the uh, ever-changing situation, uh, I have been doing that this week. So we are recording this. It is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. And uh, as you mentioned last night, late last night, uh, Congress uh, got the big stimulus package through. We are all scurrying to, to read through the, the fine print and figure out where um, Congress has landed on so many of these issues, one of which may be an impact on uh, the one topic that we're talking about today. Uh, will companies no longer really need to have these immediate layoffs or shutdowns because of some of the stimulus? Uh, we'll get into that at later points. Uh, but it's a great segue just to talk quickly about the webinar again that uh, you and some of our other cozen colleagues are doing this Friday. What what are you going to be talking about in our 90-minute webinar on Friday, March 27th? So we're going to be talking more in depth about this and other issues related to layoffs, terminations, furloughs, benefits issues, the stimulus package. I mean, if you had asked me yesterday, were we going to be talking about a stimulus package on Friday? I would have said, of course not. But now we're going to be talking about a stimulus package on Friday. And as we sit here on March 25th, on March 27th, the webinar may have changed somewhat to address a different issue. But certainly we are uh, welcoming the opportunity to have a more in-depth discussion about all issues related, at least as far as we can we can get in 90 minutes, to the current landscape of what organizations can and should be thinking about. And the slides are changing on a daily basis, if not multiple times during the day. But now that we have teased the heck out of this webinar, if people listening uh, have not registered for this free webinar just yet, and they now want to, how can they go about doing that? They can go about doing that by, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so much for rehearsal. Um, So you can go to... This was unplanned, and you know, you just got our thoughts off the top of our head. So, uh, and, and that was probably speaker. the easiest question I've asked you the whole episode. Oh um, my so gosh, you, I almost got through the whole thing without <laughs> messing up. If you do want to uh, register now uh, for this free webinar on all things worn, uh, a 90-minute discussion, much more uh, in-depth and in detail than we were able to in this podcast episode, you can go to our firm's website, cozen.com, and check out. uh, We should have banners right on that first homepage for the upcoming webinars, um, but also on that homepage, you'll see a banner that refers to our firm uh, coronavirus task force. Uh, And when you click on there, there's all kinds of great information, links, guidance, e-alerts, but also um, a link where you can register for Friday's webinar. We've been trying to do these on a weekly basis, Friday at 1 o'clock Eastern, uh, and this Friday, March 27th, we will be doing our next one on WARN beginning at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, And Jen, hopefully from that information, you will now know how you can register for something you're speaking at. Yeah, no, that's really good. You know, I just wanted to give you the chance to shine. 
<laughs> Thanks. I really appreciate it. Well, speaking of that, uh, Jen, I uh, appreciate you coming on and shining for a little bit. This is uh, all important stuff. Um, it really has been uh, a, a tragic situation all around. People are grappling just with trying to figure out what information is out there and what they need to do, uh, trying to do the right thing. And uh, you have helped uh, immeasurably during this episode. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Well, I thank you to Jennifer for jumping on the podcast with such short notice, and hopefully that was helpful to all of you. Uh, as I said a couple of times, these issues will be analyzed and discussed in much more detail in the webinar that we are doing this coming Friday, March 27th at 1 o'clock Eastern. If you haven't already signed up and registered for the free webinar, please go to cozen.com and find our registration link. If you're having trouble doing that, uh, also feel free to reach out to me, email me, and I'm happy to send you uh, an invite with the link attached there. As we've been trying to do the past few Fridays, we will continue to analyze the situation as it continues to develop uh, on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. Thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy, hectic schedules to continue to listen to my podcast and hear my voice. Until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.